This is Hauntings and Homicide. I'm Selena. I have no business doing this because I'm scared of everything. And I sleep with a nightlight, but here we are. And I'm Heather, and I haven't slept in years. And here we are. I think we nailed it. I'm just excited to sit here and drink the rest of my case of Heather has it easy this episode. I'm so excited. I had to record my episode twice. Yes. Oh my god. Thank you. God, we checked though before we were just like, hit record. Right. And we would Or my idea was like, hey, let's not stop at all. Let's just keep oh going. My God. That would have been worse. Yeah, we've almost had no content to give you at all. So I guess um <clears throat> really this is the lesser of two evils. Anyways, we're doing part two of our West Memphis three case. Mm-hmm. So um if you haven't, please go listen to part one of our two-part series mm-hmm. of this case. Heather basically says why she thinks they're guilty. I don't... That, I, Heather acting... Yes. Says I why made she them look as guilty as possible on purpose. Yes. That's the point of this exercise. And then I'm going to kind of go over the facts again with some other information swirled in, and then we're going to we're gonna discuss some things. We're going to actually talk about our real opinions at the end of yes. this episode. But I actually really, really like this case. Um, I hate saying that, because I hate saying that about any case that I'm like, oh, I'm super, like, it's one of my favorites. You know, I saw a meme the other day that was like, imagine getting brutally murdered, and then next thing you know, you're the subject of a podcast that starts with, oh, we've got a great one for you this week, you guys, and I'm like, oh. I really do, I really do like this case, so. I like it, too, in a strange way. I mean, it's. Fucking because horrible. Probably, I feel like with you, you not that you were those boys, but you could have been. Not to the extent where they're like, mm-hmm. but had you grown up yep. in a fucking Bible Belt city, exactly. you would have been the mm-hmm. quote unquote weird gothic mm-hmm. girl. Yeah. I was the weird gothic girl. We'll get into it at the end. Well, your blend is basically a small. Size. I'm still the weird gothic girl. Anywho, let's go right back in. On May 4th, three boys, Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers, went missing in West Memphis, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Don't live in Arkansas. Moral of the story. Um, Christopher Byers' stepfather, John Mark Byers, reported the boys missing at 7 p.m. The boys were last seen together by a few neighbors around 6.30 when they had heard Terry Hobbs, who was Stephen Branch's stepfather, call them inside for dinner. But, obviously, nobody showed up. Local police, along with the help from family and the victim, started a search that night, but there was no sight of the boys. It wasn't until the next morning at 8 a.m. that Crittenden County Search and Rescue started a more in-depth search. Around 1.45 that afternoon, a juvenile parole officer, Steve Jones, spotted a boy's black shoe floating in a muddy creek that led to a major drainage canal in Robin Hood Hills. Um, the boys had been stripped naked and were hogtied with their own shoelaces. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Christopher Byers had lacerations to various parts of his body and his genitalia had been mutilated. So it says that Byers had died of multiple injuries while Moore and Branch died of multiple injuries with drowning. Mm-hmm. I just think that's sad. Terrible. I should um, also say that all of the boys were just eight years old. Mm-hmm. Super young kids. There is some debate about Byers' wounds. Some say it's the result of a knife attack, while other experts say that they were attacked from wild animals post-mortem. Keep in mind, this is in, like, a wooded area in Arkansas, middle of nowhere. There's probably a ton of critters. And the different, like, things I've read and even the documentary, some people were saying that it could have been, like, a turtle. could have been, like, random. A fucking turtle. Did you... In in West of Memphis... I think. It was supposed to Memphis, I think. That I didn't watch the, that one, so. There was, like, a turtle expert who shows snapping turtles and... Maybe I did see that. And what they're capable of. And it was, honestly, horrifying. Oh, it's super horrifying. He, like, let the turtle bite him. Yeah. And the bite mark looked a lot like... Yeah, like it's super bite. sad. It's turtles? I'm scared of turtles now. They're oh, scary. I used to have a turtle tizzy. But okay, but like these turtles are turtle. huge. Yeah, no, they're huge. Oh, my God. Um, I don't like turtles. So, throughout their investigations and throughout the early stages, there were kind of three sets of 
suspects. So there was Chris Morgan and Brian Holland, who were two West Memphis teenagers that left to Oceanside, California, four days after the bodies had been found. Keep in mind, that's straight up California coast. Like, that's a long way to go and very bad timing. Mm. Morgan was an ice cream truck driver in the area. Shady. That the boys lived in, so he had a connection to them. It's always the ice cream truck driver. And why would you disappear four days after? Like, that doesn't look suspicious. That's, oh man, I hear about that in cases all the time, and you're like, "Mm, he did it. The two were arrested on May 17th in California and took polygraph tests. Both of their charts indicated that they lied when asked about their involvement with the murders. Morgan had a long history with drug and alcohol, and while talking to the police, he said he might have killed them, but quickly took it back. Blood and urine samples were sent back to West Memphis, but there is no evidence that West Memphis Police Department did anything with those samples. And then, something also suspicious happened that same night. This is going on to our second suspect. On the night the boys went missing, a local restaurant called Bojangles, which I'd laugh that there's a restaurant called that. It's racist. Right? Super racist. Like, but okay. Had encountered... Oh, sorry. What? On the night the boys went missing, a local restaurant called Bojangles had an encounter with a black male who seemed mentally disoriented. Mm -hmm. This man was bleeding and had brushed against the bathroom walls. Now, the workers there had called the cops. By the time the cops came, the guy had walked away and they really couldn't do anything. It wasn't until the next day that when... The boys had been found. The restaurant manager thought, hey, that seems kind of suspicious. Like, what if that guy had something to do with it? So she called the cops, had them come over. They took blood samples, but then conveniently lost them. And, side note, apparently they found a hair belonging to a black male on a sheet that was wrapped around one of the victims. But nothing ever came out of it. Like, they lost all samples and that was it. Which is weird to me. West Memphis PD is just... They really bungled this whole investigation. No matter who you believe did it, the police department fucked up many times. They suck. Now we're moving on to the three major suspects, who were Damian Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin. These were three outcast members of the community because they listened to heavy metal and were believed to believe in Satan. But I think it's really funny because they kind of focus on the fact that they were all black and listened to heavy metal. Uh-huh. So, duh, you're guilty, right? Duh. Just makes sense. So, Jason Baldwin and Damien Uckles were very close friends and bonded over their share in music and feeling misunderstood living in such a small kind of Bible Belt community. They had been previously arrested for vandalism and shoplifting, but I think that's kind of just... I feel like... Teenagers shoplift. Like, that's just... If you know how many pins I stole from Hot Topic... That's what I was going to say. I'd be in jail. Like, who... That's just a thing that happens. Oops. You're poor, you don't got money, and you're like, "Mm, I think I can do this. But whatever. And vandalism, what they mean by vandalism is that they were freaking spray spray painting, like, under, like, overpasses and stuff like that. Was he writing the names of all of his girlfriends in spray paint? It was his favorite band, he actually. Ran a, he ran out of spray paint because his girlfriends told me so many. He was like, mm, girlfriend number three, sorry. <laughs> I don't have enough for you. Like, I, to- I totally did. I totally did write a name right there. I said, said, girlfriend number three. I said, right there. Right there says your name. That's your name. Girlfriend number three. So, like Heather had said in um, part one, Jesse Miss Kelly did have a reputation of having a temper and starting fights with other students, a.k.a. trying to gouge, gouge their eyes out. out. Yep, there we go. There it is. I mean, sure, whatever. Miss um, Kelly and Eccles had dropped out of high school while Baldwin got very good grades and had a huge interest in the arts. Now, they all three lived in trailer parks at one point in their lives, so they were just considered white trash. And, unfortunately, it's that age-old stigma of being born on the wrong side of the tracks. So, it's a very small town, and it's in the Bible Belt. So, there's a church on every corner. 
So obviously, if you dress in all black and listen to heavy metal, you have to be crazy, right? If you didn't go to church on Sunday, the devil's got his his claws in you. He's got you. Um, FYI, if you do watch the documentary, that's legitimately how they, like, talk. Like, they really do believe, like, the devil is, like, a... How do I want to He's say the boogeyman. It? Yeah. He's going to get you. No, like 100%. If you don't go to church on Sunday morning, He's at night when you go to bed, yeah. No, 100%. That's how they seem. So that's a whole nother thing. So there had been talks that Damien was into occult practices. So he was the first person on many people's list as a suspect. So two days after the boys had been found, Damien was brought in for questioning. They gave him a lie detector test, and when asked about his involvement with the murders, he denied having any part of it, but the polygraph examiner said he was lying. On May 9th, during a formal interview with Detective Brian Ridge, Damien mentioned that there were wounds to one of the victim's genitals, which they took as incriminating himself. But keep in mind, at that point, it kind of had been public knowledge, so if you had watched the 5 o'clock news, you would know what had happened. A month had passed, and nothing really happened. Damien wasn't considered a suspect yet, and the clock was ticking to find who had killed these boys. So detectives moved on to their next plan. They went after Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. Now, I'm just going to break down here real quick, and this is usually how it goes. I feel like, you know, I'm an expert because I've watched so many true crime documentaries. But I feel like detectives will start to pick out the weaker one. Mm-hmm. Go after them to try to break them. And that's kind of what had happened. See what had happened was. <sighs> so, like we had said, sorry. So, like we had said in part one, Jesse had a lower IQ. I had read it that it was 72, so that's not, you know. I said 70 and 80. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's in that range. So. But, uh, <laughs> I, it, um, one of the documentaries, I forget which one, someone had referred to him as having the mental capacity of a five or six-year-old. So, uh, I hate saying this, but because he was also a minor and because of his, how do I say that without sounding mean? Handicap? His, yeah. He should have never been allowed to be questioned by himself, ever. Apparently, his dad gave him permission to go to the police, but he never gave them permission to be questioned. Because if you are a minor, you do need parent consent for them to be questioned. Now, they question Jesse for 12 hours. Conveniently enough, though, only 46 of those 12 hours were recorded. So we don't know exactly what happened, but this is how Jesse describes it. He said the police kept asking him the same questions over and over again. They had asked him about his time schedule and where he was at this time or at this time. Then they threw this out there. They said, wouldn't you like to be the one that helps with this case and get that reward money? Mm-hmm. It's at almost 30000 which is a lot. And you could help your dad buy a new truck. And don't you just want to help your dad? They had eventually broken him. And they kind of made him trip over his own thoughts. So he had said he, had wit- he was a witness to the murders and that Eccles and Baldwin were the ones who had committed the murders. But then he kind of quickly recanted his statements. But as Heather said, he kind of changed his story numerous times. Like a hundred times he went back and forth. Yeah. And even during his confession, he had even stated that he was scared of the police. So shortly after his confession, police arrested all three suspects, Damien Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin. So now it's time for the trials to begin. Jesse was tried separately from Damien and Jason. A lot of Jesse's trial was dealing with his confessions. Since he had changed them so many times, it was hard to kind of keep track of it. So during his trial, Dr. Richard Offshe, who was an expert of false confessions and police and police coercion, said that Jesse's interrogation was a classic example of police coercion. coercion. Also, the fact that his various confessions were not consistent That kind of had a lot to do with it, too. And the details of the murders didn't line up with what he was saying. He had said that Damien had raped one of the boys, but none of the victims showed any signs of rape. 
So on February 5th of 1994, so less than a year after, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. was convicted of first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to life plus 40 years in prison. Three weeks later, Damien and Jason went to trial. Their trial had Satanism and Satanic ritual as their main theme. The prosecution had brought in Dale W. Griffiths, an expert on a cult, to testify the murderers. And our next witness, we got Satan himself to come <laughs> and testify. By the way, this guy was not an expert. Wow, He I'm was some old man <laughs> who had a degree from an uncredited university. He went to, like, DeVry. He went to DeVry or something <laughs> like that. And he had a ton of, he had just read a ton of books. Basically, on a cult and stuff like that. So, he considered himself an expert. He read the Bible. He read the That's like calling you and me an expert and taking us on the stand because we have a true crime podcast and we like watching true crime shit. By no means are we experts. No. That's exactly what they did. They're like, mm, let's go find this guy. He should be able to help us. I hate that guy. And I hated watching him I on TV. I hate a lot of these people. I hated watching him on TV. I hate so Because it was just stupid. People. So there was a ton of speculation about how Damien knew about the boys drowning and the mutilation. His defense team argued that he had learned about the specifics of the case from the news. Which, I tend to believe that. I tend to believe that it probably was on the 5 o'clock news because there was probably nothing else to report while all this was going on. Especially if it had to do with Satan. Yeah. That's going to bump you to the good slot? They probably said on the 5 o'clock news, these boys were found. It was a ritual. Please go lock your doors. There was Satan. So Satan, Satan was there. Yeah, so Satan can't come in. Satan lock your doors. himself did it. Mm-hmm. We have hoof prints in the mud. <laughs> so on March 19th, Eccles and Baldwin were found guilty of three counts of first degree. Damien was sentenced to death, having been the one who orchestrated the whole thing. And then Jason was sentenced to life in prison. The really sad part about Jason is that he just got grouped in with it. Like, they basically were like, oh, you're friends with Damien? All right. You had to have helped. Jail. Forever. Yeah. Oh, you wore black? Yep. Of course you did it. Lock his ass up. Like. For life. When you kind of research it and when you watch the documentaries, they really don't have anything on him. It's more so like, hey, you're his friend, so you're guilty by association. Guilty by association, yeah. Which, I'm so sad. So apparently don't be friends with someone if they were all black. Don't hang out with goth kids. Yeah. Because that's just what's going to happen. So this kind of brings us to where I heard about this case, and that is the Paradise Lost documentaries. There are three of them. The first one is Paradise Lost, the child murders. At Robin Hood Hills, which came out in 1996. Then it goes Paradise Lost, Revelations, which came out in 2000. And then Paradise Lost, Purgatory, which came out in 2011. So the documentaries kind of go over how police effed up the whole thing from the beginning. Like, the whole thing. So the main issue with the case is how the police dealt with it. They didn't properly investigate or even handle the crime scene the way they should have. They didn't call the coroners until a couple after a couple hours after the bodies were found. They didn't drain the ditch to try to find evidence. And because of the mishandling of the case, there was public outrage. That's what led to the documentaries and all that uh-huh. good stuff. Media circus. Media circus. After the trials, then all this information comes out. So... If you watch the documentary, one of the stepfathers, the stepfather of Christopher Byers, Byers. John Mark Byers, he goes by Mark. but he goes by Mark. If you watch him, he is so overly animated with stuff, but like not in a good way. He's very theatrical. He's very theatrical. Almost in the way that you're like, yo, you had to have done something. Like, it just seems kind of weird. So, I believe it was during this. Second taping of the documentary, um, Mark Byers, the stepfather, had given a knife to one of the cameramen. 
Sometime later, when the when the camera guy was looking at the knife, he noticed that there was blood on it. So, of course, HBO, who produced the documentaries, were like, okay, you have to send that to West Memphis Police. Like, we can't have that. So, they sent the knife. It didn't get there for, like, another month. But Mark Byers kept saying that the knife had never been used. But... Wait, no, maybe I did use it. Oh, wait, no, I did use it. I use it to cut up some deer meat. And then, oh, wait, no, maybe I, like, cut my finger on it. So, like, he kept changing his story. But after further testing, the results came back inconclusive. During the second documentary, Byers took a polygraph, but he was under the influence of several psychoactive prescription medications, which affected the results, so nothing kind of came back. Like Heather had mentioned, there was that bite mark. Apparently, they took bite marks from Eccles Baldwin and Miss Kelly, and none of them matched the bite marks on Stevie. But when they went to go talk to Mark Byers, funny enough, he had had his teeth removed. Because something to do with his stroke medication, and he had to get his teeth taken out, and blah, 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 blah. So, obviously, they couldn't test that. But in 2007... DNA testing did come out from the scene, and none of it matched Damien, Jesse, or Jason. But they did find a hair that belonged to Terry Hobbs, which was the stepfather of Stevie Branch. Now, Terry Hobbs is very interesting because he's an ass. Mm -hmm. And even his wife, who now divorced him, kind of changed her story and she was like I don't like him like he would hit me like I could see how he could have killed my son like she even was like yeah I think he did it and on I think the third part he had taken a polygraph test too I think and I think his kind of came back inconclusive I have trouble differentiating between third paradise lost and west of Memphis because I saw them Right away. In the same yeah. two-day span, so I kind of smelled them together. Okay, so then I'm going to kind of do a quick overview of the events that had happened between 2007 up until 2011, because it's a bunch of, like, lawyer mumbo-jumbo legal proceedings. Yeah, a lot it was of a, legal shit. There's a lot of... A lot of jargon. A, a lot of... What is it called? Appeals and... Trying to get it appealed and tried to get the case to... Trying to get them to another trial and blah, 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 and a lot of... I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know how any of that works. It's just complicated. But it came out that in 2008, it was revealed that there was some jury misconduct. The jury foreman, apparently, he was giving information to all the other jurors that nobody should have known. Like, Mm -hmm. outside information kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So... He had information on the suspects and was trying to convict them because, like we had said, it's very much a public trial and they all had their own. Because of the devil. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So he was sharing information with jurors that he wasn't supposed to. Boys aren't supposed to wear eyeliner. That boy is is the mistress of the devil. I saw him with the devil. So, like I had said, um... It's a bunch of whole mumbo-jumbo legal stuff. In between the years of 2007 and 2010, um, Damien's lawyer filed to have a retrial or to immediately release him because this is when the DNA evidence came out. They were trying to exonerate him, but nope, nothing. And that's when Terry Hobbs was technically linked to the murders. But guess what? They what? did nothing. Oh, my God. What? Oh, fuck, the police hate. bungled it. What are you talking about? I would hate I just can't. So, in 2010, the case was taken to the Supreme Court because there was evidence to exonerate the three, plus with that jury tampering that I talked about, that played a huge factor. Finally, in 2011, the three were released from prison under an Alford plea, which basically it's a legal proceeding that lets the defendants plead guilty while maintaining their innocence. And then they were sentenced to time served, which was 18 years and 78 days. So basically, with this plea deal kind of thing, if they were to mess up anyway legally, then they would be sentenced to 10 years. That was basically kind of their thing. It was like a way intense probation kind of thing. 
What I think is really sad is that Damien had talked about, he goes, I've been in jail for 18 years. My son is basically the age I was when I got convicted. Shit. Like, that's so sad to me. That's insane. Like, you have, like, you basically missed your entire kid's life. Like, you missed all the good years. So, what I thought was kind of interesting, and to tie in the whole true crime world, because this is all related, John E. Douglas, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 who was a former profiler for the FBI, even said that the murders were more indicative of a single murderer rather than a trio of unsophisticated teenagers. Mm-hmm. Basically saying these teenagers had no way were involved because... They were too busy wearing black and listening to Metallica. Um, by the way, you should know who that is. If you know me at all, you know who that is. Yes. I read all 20 pages of his report. Yeah. Then again, I'm like obsessed with John Douglas. Is there anything that you would like to go more in depth with? About that report? Yeah. No. Since you read 20 pages you, of no, it? No, you pretty much summed it up. 20 pages into one sentence? Mm-hmm. <laughs> John Douglas always goes in blind. He doesn't want to know any details. If you have someone in mind, he doesn't want to know. Write it on the back of the report so that he can't see it. Um, and he can s- get so detailed in his predictions. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this person has a stutter. Mm-hmm. They live with a female relative. Mm-hmm. Um they are a college dropout. They've committed crimes before, and they will again. Like mm-hmm. his profiles, that they own a police style car. Um, they have a police style dog. Like he's so in detail. Do you think he would have laughed at their um, occult? Um... He's he said in his report he was like, no, I'm saying would he have laughed at their occult? Um, who? What am I trying to say? That guy was. A cult the, expert? Yeah. Thank you. Probably. Because he said in his report, like, out of all the alleged occult crimes that I've been called in to see, none of them ever checked out to be occult-related. Mm-hmm. Maybe this will be the one to ch- prove me wrong. It wasn't. So, the reason why you may have heard of this case before is because there's a ton of celebrity influence involved. Mm-hmm. And I mean a ton. From Johnny Depp to Henry Rollins to, I forget the guy's name from Metallica, the lead singer, the guy that sued Napster, that guy. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is his name? I only know one name from Metallica, and it's Lars. Him. Yes, he's the singer. He's the one who I think spearheaded the whole lawsuit against. Yeah. 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 I don't fucking listen to metal. Sorry. Me neither. I listen to Sad Girl Shit. I was listening to Amy Winehouse on the way here. Ooh, I love Amy Winehouse. <laughs> um, Henry Rollins even did a whole album called Rise Above, 24 Black Flag Songs to Benefit the West Memphis Three. By the way, I love him. I think he's so good looking, and I love him. I think his stand-up is really good. I just love him. Um, Disturbed. Okay. Also released a song called Three, where 100% of the proceeds went to free the boys. Okay. So there was just a lot of celebrity influence, which the small town of West Memphis did not appreciate because they felt like these big personalities were making them look stupid. Oh. You did that yourself. Yeah, you don't need any help. But that's fine. So, like we mentioned, there was the documentaries, and then there was a movie called West of Memphis that was produced by Peter Jackson, as well as Eccles. And Johnny Depp was there, who was a close friend. Mm -hmm. And he was there to help premiere it at Sundance, which I think it won a couple awards or something like that. So, in 2014, the movie Devil's Knot was released, starring Reese Witherspoon and Colin Firth. Listen, no one involved in this case was Colin Firth hot, okay? No. No one was that hot. Um, Terry Hobbs is definitely not that hot. Let me see. So. Anyway. Where are they now? Ooh. Even though I think we might have talked about it. A tiny bit. Um, Damien has had major major success after being released. He's now a full-time artist slash 
Wiccan? What do you call a male? Sure. What do you call a male? A witch. A witch? Mm-hmm. Oh, is there no? Sorry. Um, I mean, some male witches refer to themselves as, like, wizards or sorcerers or whatever, but most of them just use witch. Um, apparently he just travels the country showing his art, which is expensive. Yep. He <laughs> lives with his wife, Lori, who, by the way, he married in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a lawyer who gave up, not gave up her life, but she lived in New York, decided to up and move to wherever he was jailed. I forget where they put him. Little Rock? No. Probably. Something yeah, like that. Little Rock, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they fell in love, and they're actually still married to this yep. day, which I think is really interesting. It's crazy. Um, it's sweet. It's super sweet. He says that he loves her, and he thinks about her all the time. And it was He really wrote a book about it. Yeah. About their relationship. I mean, it's definitely not what you could watch on Love After Lockup. That's, I don't know what that is. It's a, ch- it's a show on WeTV where it's people who marry prison inmates, and then they get, lo- uh, they get released, and they're like, oh, you mean you are a jackass? Like, yeah, hi. <laughs> <laughs> you married a fucking you prison married inmate. A but, okay, um, you know you do you. Um, and now he's a huge advocate for those wrongly accused, and he is helping with the Stephen Avery case. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Um, like we said, he also did help produce the West End Memphis movie. Mm-hmm. Now, Jason is now married and living in Seattle. He wrote a book called Dark Spell, Surviving mm. the Sentence. And he was an executive producer for the film Devil's Knot. But that caused a rift between him and Damien because Damien felt like Baldwin kept a lot out. And Jason kind of shadedly said, well, not everyone watches documentaries, so they may not know everything. I heard that their feud was because Damien threw shade at Jason in his book. Oh, Interesting. That's what I read. Oh. Damien was like, well, Jason wanted to stay in jail because he was, like, doing really well and, like, going to like, college in there and, like, was working with computers. I was on death row. I didn't even get any sunlight. So, like, fuck him. You know? And Jason was like, um, I didn't like prison. Who likes prison? That's what Damien said. Who I think Damien was just really mad because he was on death row and literally never saw sunlight, and now he has sight issues. He has to wear sunglasses inside 24-7 because he can't handle light. He can't see far distances. Oh, you mean that wasn't part of his aesthetic? Oh, I thought that was part of his aesthetic. I did too, and then I found out he literally basically went blind in prison. Oh, that's sad. He's blind. That's sad. So, yeah, I get why he's mad. I can't really take a side. Yeah. Because they both suffered so greatly. Mm. But, yeah, Damien's blind. So, now that brings us to Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. Mm -hmm. He's completely dropped out of the public eye, wants nothing to do with it. Can't blame him. Um, And, funny enough, he was the only one to actually move back to West Memphis. Oh, my gosh. He... Yeah. Back. Um, last we heard, he's living with his girlfriend. Um, when asked, um, reporters did ask his father why his son has stayed out of the public eye, and his father replied, y'all are the ones who sent him to the pen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, why the fuck would he want to talk to anybody? I don't, I don't know. Poor guy. He, it's really sad, because he's... I don't want to say he's my favorite, but I my heart broke the most for him because even when he was in jail, he would, like, show, like, my, like, family sent me this, and I just miss my dad so much. I can't wait to, like, go home, and, like, people were sending him birthday cards and stuff, and it was just so sad. Yeah. It literally was, like, talking to, like, a five-year-old, like, it was just so sad. Well, I like to give a lot of credit to Jason because... He refused to plead guilty yeah. in the beginning, even he as a 16-year-old boy. Because he said, I'm not going to admit to something that I didn't do. And then with this Alfred plea thing, he was like, fuck no, I'm not pleading guilty. I ha- I'm innocent. I have nothing to do with this. Uh, go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. And finally, it came down to the fact that, like, if he didn't, then Damien would for sure be on death yeah. row and 
be sentenced, like, get lethally injected. Yeah. And so, to save Damien's life, he went along with it. That's why Damien shouldn't be saying shit. He really shouldn't. But he whatever. Really shouldn't. Jason so, has always been super about integrity and being honest. And Well, like, hell yeah, I wouldn't want to fucking admit to something I never did. I wouldn't either, but... My pride wouldn't let me. Yeah, but a lot of people... Would rather just get out of jail. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would want to get out of jail, I would want to get out of jail, too. But also, he was so strong in his convictions that he was like, I'll die here in this jail. I will die here before I admit guilt to something I didn't do. So, quickly. Mm -hmm. By no means are we saying, hey, they're out of jail. Now this is like a kind of sort of open case, but really it's not because they're guilty, but they're not. Mm -hmm. Um... I think the murderer is still out there. Mm-hmm. I think the murderer is Terry Hobbs. Me too. I'm pretty sure we all think that. And so does my mom. The reason why I penciled this in is because, or I bookmarked it for later is because I knew, I almost with certainty that that's who she thought it was too. Here's where everything went wrong. When children, family members, whatever it is, go missing, who should you always start with when questioning? Parents. Just anyone in the immediate family. Mm-hmm. Do you know what they didn't do? Question anyone in the immediate family. And finally, when years later, when they were like, oh, hey, Terry Hobbs's hair was found there. Maybe we should have talked to him. Mm-hmm. His alibi kept changing. Hmm. He said that he was somewhere, and then his sister said that uh, it wasn't true, and then... Yeah, his sister, like, totally advocates for him. His hair was found in the shoelace of yeah. one of the boys. Yes. Which, I mean, you got to look at everything. You have yeah. to look at all the evidence. I think he did it. I think he did it. And I assume we're not going to go into, like, every piece of information on why we think that, but Google his record. Mm-hmm. He's a bad, He's bad, a really bad man. Person. And has for done your... some bad things. Well... And then, like I had said, he had, his talk, listening to him talk is just, he's a douche. He's a douche. And he laughs like it's funny. Oh, yeah. When they were interrogating, I don't even know if it's considered interrogating him or they were just questioning him, whatever. They had mentioned, oh, did you hit your wife? And he starts laughing and he's like, go ask her. And then they're like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you have to ask her if she... If she deserved it or something like that. Oh my fucking god. Like, he's just a mega douche. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how, what, where, when they can convict him. Like, I don't know what they need. Here's why they won't. They'd have to admit that they fucked up if they reopen the case and... how damn prideful can you be to be like, we're not going to actually get who did it. Because we wanted it to be the boys that were all black. Welcome to the justice system. More like the injustice system. Do they talk about it in West of Memphis? Mm -hmm. So I just really like this quote from Jerry Driver. He said, some experts have said that there are three main driving forces of Satan worship amongst teenagers, and that is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. If that does not sum up small town America and what they feel sex, drugs, and rock and roll is, then I don't know what does. I feel like that's it's, the perfect. That sounds like a like it would be a quote from like 1953. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Those damn pencil skirts, they're causing everyone that to... damn Elvis and his <laughs> pelvis. He's of the devil. The hip shaking. White men's <laughs> hips can't shake like that. He's the devil. Elvis Presley is the devil. Doesn't that sound like that though? Yeah. Straight up white middle America. I feel like we should talk about Jerry Driver like we just barely touched on him, like, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is, like, he had this major vendetta against Damien because, um, you know, they've, they'd had several run-ins. And mm-hmm. Damien, like, a lot of the stuff that Damien said about, like, eat, like sacrificing babies and, like, all the drinking blood and shit, he said it to Jerry Driver to, like, piss him off. Yeah. And, like, pushed his buttons on purpose. And Jerry Driver just, like... Either he, like, took it way too seriously. Like, he was so easy to fuck with. Mm-hmm. You know, Damien had been fucking with this guy. J- Jerry Driver was a um, juvenile 
counselor and something or like that probation officer what's his official well no it would okay it's it was a bullshit title yeah is what it really mm-hmm. was and like he was in the initial search and found the kids yes and like some of the first words out of his mouth were well it looks like damien finally, finally killed, killed somebody someone. and it's like what yeah and i don't know because damien was on their list from the jump yeah they're like he for sure did it yeah and I don't know if Jerry Driver really believed that Damien was capable of doing that, or if he just wanted to pin it on him because, like, he had a vendetta against fuck him. this kid in particular. Why not? But that's basically how this whole thing started, was just Jerry Driver's vendetta against Damien, and probably a little bit Jason, because, you know, guilty by association, mm-hmm. whatever. So, there's another point that, like, personally, I understand kind of... Um, when it comes to goth kids or really any kid who's perceived as, like, alternative to the norm, like, people don't really get it. Yeah. And then, like, wild rumors and shit start, and it can be really hurtful. And once that, like, starts happening, it can almost, like, change those people. Well, yeah, like, you're just trying to live your life and everyone's already voted you, like, the town outcast. And you're not doing any harm to anybody, you're just... Not even different. It's just... I don't know. It's like... Okay, so when I was in high school, like, there was all these rumors about me that I slept in a coffin and that I, like, performed animal sacrifices and shit. And at first it was actually really hurtful to me because it's like, what? You know, like, where does that come from? Someone who just decided, you know, fuck that chick. She looks weird. She doesn't talk to anybody. She's really quiet. It's It freaks me out. And so, at first, I was really just this lonely, like, quiet, shy person who didn't talk to anyone because I just was so cripplingly shy. And then I was villainized for it. And then eventually you start to become aggressive and you're like, fine, you want a monster? You've got a monster. Yeah. And then I just started fucking with people on purpose, like... You know, if they stare at me too long, I'll just stare them right in their face until they back down and stop looking at me. And that shit's gonna, you know, that's freaky. Yeah. But it's like, you know, no one likes me anyway. Might as well. So if this is the character you've painted me as, okay then, mm-hmm. now I'm gonna do it to the utmost degree. Um, so I figure Damien and Jason probably had something like that going on, where it's like, now it was just their characters that they're playing. Um, not so much Jason, because Jason was pretty quiet and yeah. scared about his art. Um, if anyone threw, like... But I wonder, did... I probably should have looked more into this. I wonder what his art was, like, what he would draw I saw and stuff some, like that. some of his Was drawings. it darker or something like yeah. that? I mean, it was a little edgy, but it's not like he was drawing, like... Satan. <laughs> not really any Satan. The depths of the hell. Mm. Not really. I mean, it was not a big deal. Otherwise, I think they would have been flaunting that all yeah, over the place. Yeah, that's been like, true. Look at these drawings. That's true. Um, if anyone went through my old journals from high school, oh my god. Oof. I'd be in jail still. So, um, also, there's the whole thing about Jesse and his polygraph. And, like, the police told him that the polygraph machine could read his mind. And the machine told them that he was involved with the murders. Mm-hmm. And so, like, Jesse, you know, being as naive and innocent as he was, was probably like, oh, no. Like, yeah. the machine doesn't lie. Yeah. So I must have been involved. I think he got gaslit and brainwashed into having false memories. Oh, for sure. Well, and I think it kind of goes along. Like, you, him being a minor... His parents should have been there the whole entire time. Because mm-hmm. then they would have been like, what the fuck are you trying to tell my kid? Like, really? You're going to tell him that the lie detector is reading? Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like so much of that could have been stopped had his parents been there. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they took it seriously enough or if they just didn't know what was going on. Like, Jesse didn't even understand that his lawyer was his lawyer. He thought he was just another cop or something. I think it's just sad because they totally, they did target him and. <sighs> yeah, they realized this is the weak link and this is our key. That's their way in and we're going to make it work to our advantage. And 
it puts a lot of distrust in our legal system and the people that are so-called here are supposed to like protect us Mm -hmm. when they're doing shady shit like that like it's so unfair it's also it reminds me of the the part where jason said like he he wasn't worried about what would happen to him because he he was like my i know my god won't allow this to happen yeah which is devastating like he really believed like he re- like they're painting him as this like satanist and here he is like a good christian boy mm-hmm. who believes that god is going to protect him in all this which is probably the most fucked up part of this whole case well cuz especially where they live like you put your whole trust you put all your trust in the mm-hmm. lord and god and all that so he's going blindly into it saying like it's okay like everything's going to be fine because he's going to protect me right and then Which you is... have these asshole cops that are like <laughs> and they're trying to paint him as this like you. you know satanist blood drinking animal sacrificing orgy participating it's so sad guys. um do you, have you ever heard of the um the yogurt shop murders you know that, no. that thing from uh it was a case in Texas I think it was in the 80s. I don't think so. Well, it was like a case that's like pretty similar to this, and there was three guys that went down for it, but it's really similar to this because they were interrogated for like hours and hours and hours and hours, and finally the kid was like convinced that he was a part of it and then confessed, but he kept getting parts of it wrong. And then later on, years down the line, they got evidence... They got DNA evidence, and it didn't match any of the three boys. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, well, then there just must have been a fourth one there. And then they got more DNA evidence that was from yet another person who didn't match. And they're like, okay, well, then there must have been a fifth person there with them. It's like, no, you, you know, you're just trying to, you, you want it to be these boys so badly that you're making yourself look crazy. But, yeah, it's, I think it's a similar situation, and there's scientific evidence that shows that false memories can be planted in your brain. Oh, yeah. Which is terrifying, especially if someone's really easily manipulated like Jesse was. Like, I think, and that's that's what I think happened when he was in the back of that police car and he confessed again to the first scenario. I think he had those false memories planted in his mind and he started to believe that that's what really happened. Well, I think I feel like this goes to with, like, people that just bullshit you, like, and tell you all these lies, like, eventually they start believing it kind of thing. So if you start telling someone that they did something over and over and over again... It's then gaslighting. It, yeah. It's They're literally like, exactly how gaslighting works, yeah. which is fucking... It's, like, the worst thing you can do to a person. I think it's sad, like, like you were talking about that story right it now. Makes and you believe, it makes you not believe your own brain. Yeah. And that's terrifying. You second guess everything. No, I think it's kind of sad when you start looking into similar cases like that, like the one you were talking about, and... There's that, um, what was it, the story of the Central Park 4? Oh, shit, five? yeah, exactly. Just like that. Shoot, why do, is it 4 or 5? I don't know. Oh, I should know I this. Haven't, I haven't heard about that story in years now. Well, because they added that, um, like, docuseries movie on Netflix, which is totally gut-wrenching. What, what is it? When They See Us. Oh, is that what that's about? Mm-hmm. What the fuck? I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, I've only heard people talking about it and, like, how sad it is. And, oh, like, I cried every will, single episode. It will upset you so much. And I'm like, you know, and you know my thing with watching sad things. Oh, I love watching sad things. I really things. try not to. So I was I like, you it. know, I feel like whatever this is about, it's going to upset me so bad. But it's I have no idea. Four or five of them. Why are we? It's on rated four? It's on rated five. It's five. Five. So five, it's five, part yeah. five. So, same thing with that is that they kind of, like, got them to confess to stuff that they mm-hmm. didn't do. And then even when years later on the actual, um, would it be actual suspect? Actual, whatever. Actual perpetrator? Yes. When he actually came forth and said, oh no, I'm the one who did it, then their whole excuse was, okay, but they must have still been there with you. Right. Like, there was no, like, oh, we won't, especially... Law enforcement. They'll never admit to their mistakes. Just own your shit. These are people's lives. But um, even with, I think, the last documentary, um, was it Purgatory, that one? Well, they were talking to him, and he's like, he still wouldn't be like, oh, no, we were wrong. Mm -hmm. He was like, no, I still believe that that's what happened. 
And I just believe that um, the public figures are getting themselves involved with this case and making people feel like something else happened. Like, he started, like, he wouldn't accept that it was his fault. He started then blaming it on the fact that, like, oh, since Johnny Depp's involved and all these other people, like, they're the ones that are making you feel a different type of way about the situation. Like, he mm-hmm. still wouldn't admit fault. I feel like no matter what you believe about this case, I think everyone can agree that law enforcement really dropped the ball. Of course. They fucked up really They did, bad. from the beginning. Literally, from the second that they found the kid, they didn't follow, I feel like, any They were rules losing they sh- evidence. Yeah. They were... They were really easily, like, manipulated by, like, lawyers and stuff. Like, um, you know, the knife that was found in the lake? Mm-hmm. Like, so the lawyer that was working against Damien and Jason and Jesse, he'd, like, gotten some inside information that, that Jason had, like, thrown a knife into that lake, like, a year prior. And knew exactly where it had, like, his mo- his mom had, like, mentioned it or something. And so he sent a police diver to go look for the knife and, like, even invited the news to come and cover it. So when they found the knife, it was, like, this whole thing. Yeah. It's, like, the knife was found within 30 minutes, which is, like, a ridiculously short amount of time mm-hmm. to be finding a piece of evidence if you're just searching a lake blindly, not knowing where... Whatever. If you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know where, you know, it, it was all set up. Miraculously, you find this knife within 30 minutes. Right. Like, Bullshit. come on. Yeah. It was a disaster. Well, I'm done. Oh, my God. I don't think I have an obsession. You know I what? either. You know what my obsession's going to be? My obsession is, fuck you! You know what my obsession's going to be when I can't think of anything? What? Bravo. Because I watch Bravo 24-7. Right, I'm a Bravo-holic. Me, tell me what's on Bravo. Um, all the good shows. They're all reality TV shows. They host the Real Housewives of Orange County, Beverly Hills, all that good stuff. My current obsession on that channel, though, is Below Deck. What's that? Below Deck Mediterranean, actually, what, because there's I don't, two Is this a fishing boat show? Um, it's a luxury yacht show. Oh. So no. they charter. It's basically a crew that works on a yacht, and rich people charter it. And it's people, like, babysitting, like, rich people. And it's just really good. The crew, like, hooks up with each other. They get, like, majorly shit-based on their days off. It's just a good time. So that's my obsession. Oh. If I have nothing else to watch, I'll watch Bravo 24-7. And rewatch the same damn shows over and over again. Do you have an obsession? Nope. <laughs> what TV shows are you watching? And just West Memphis 3 research all three weeks long. Oh. Um... I... You know what Heather's obsession is? Because I'm going to make it up for her. Ooh. It's that her Disneyland pass is no longer blocked, so we're going to plan a Disney day. That's true. Because it's Halloween time, and it is the best time of the year. That's right. Um. So, yeah. <laughs> that's Heather's obsession. <laughs> that's, that's the end of our episode. So, we'll see you next Thursday. But if you miss us in the meantime, remember, we're always with you in spirit. And we love you to death. To death. To death. To death.